0: really need to be calling? (laughs) 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 Okay. Hi, everybody. Uh, My name is Dan. I'm uh, recovering anorexic.
1: Um,
0: Leslie, thank you so much. This is mine, I assume. Thank you, whoever got the water and needed it already. Thank you for letting me come. And share tonight. I love this room. This I used to come to this room many moons ago. I was saying at the beginning of the when I was talking to somebody before the meeting, and um, there used to be a desk here with a chair behind it. Um, so I was expecting that when I walked in the room. Um, so anyway, I'm glad to be here. Um, I now live in Studio City, so I don't come to this part of town very much for meetings, but. Um, Yeah, so uh, I'll just share what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. I mean, I love that simple way of approaching this thing. I came to OA in 1990. 1990 I came to OA and I was very much not really ready yet. I was raised in a very um, destructive and uh, horrible religious situation growing up as a child. And I just wasn't ready. I I had a roommate who was in OA, and I guess I knew that by that time I was... um, Non-fat cottage cheese and pineapple was very important to me, and... um, (laughs) And I went to the gym a lot, but I thought that just meant, well, that's what young gay men do. You have to go to the gym. You just have to go. I didn't think much of it. I didn't think about um, how my day was ruined if I didn't go. I didn't think about how all I thought about was food. I didn't think like that. I just knew that's what I did. And my roommate was in um, OA, and I thought, okay, well, I'll go. It sounds like, you know, it's Sounds cool. So I went, and kind of a weird experience happened. I was going to meetings for a few weeks, and I learned about writing down my food, and I learned about, um, I don't know, and uh, I don't know. I called someone at one point, and it was like this really weird conversation, and I just kind of like went, oh, sorry, okay, bye, and never went back. (laughs) And, um, I mean... It was, it was odd. She sort of questioned my membership, and I was like, "Well, I guess you're right. Okay, bye." <laughs> you know, and um, so uh, so I didn't go back. And um, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. Uh, so I started to you know get into other. I, I, I looking back, I, what it was that it was that I really needed to sort of heal from. The religious stuff I had to, i mean any concept of God or anything like that was just it was fraught with incredible pain, incredible guilt and um, so five years later, in my mind, I was still a member of o a as far as I was concerned I moved into a uh, uh, an apartment building in Beverly Hills adjacent and uh, from the west side, and i I don't know how it happened or how it came up, but one of my new neighbors was like, I go to OA. I don't know why he said it to me. I had, I had no idea how it came up in conversation. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a member. I should go with you. <laughs> uh, and in my mind, by this time, you know, I was meditating and I, you know, I had sort of found a new perception of, of divinity or I didn't like the word God. Still don't really like the word God, but, um, you know, I found a higher power somewhat. But where I was at when that happened was, By this time, it was uh, my food obsession was out of control. I was, all I thought about was food all day long. Looking back, I thought that's what, at the time, I thought that's what made me a compulsive, I thought it was a compulsive reader. But what it was, looking back, was it was my obsession with controlling food that made me think about food all day long. But I was obsessed, completely obsessed. My life was tiny. The event of my day was like eating a banana before I went to the gym and, um, dating was out, friends were out, I was totally isolated, um, so, but I was meditating a lot, and I had become very spiritual, incredibly, incredibly spiritual, and, um, and that spirituality actually fed in a lot to my anorexia I came later to see, um, and I just want to say, you know, anorexia for me was not a food disorder. It was a life disorder. I still see it that way. It's nothing about food. It's nothing about looking good. It's nothing about vanity. It's about disappearing. It was always about disappearing. I didn't know it was about disappearing. And I just, I always say this. I don't know why I always say it. Maybe it's because I want anybody who's not an anorexic in here to, to not be defensive. But I'm very clear that it is one compulsion. I don't have a lot of experience with binging. I don't have a lot of experience with purging, but I have a good friend. At, I went back to school in, in abstinence. I'll get to that in a little bit. But um, when I was, but went back to school, I had a good, very good friend who up in Valencia who um, was a compulsive reader, and she told me the story of how she lost, how she, got, she came to program, and she got abstinent very, very quickly, and she lost, I think, 45 or 50 pounds in the span of like two or three months. And she talked about how when she lost that weight so quickly, she walked down the street and she felt like nude. She felt nude. She felt like men would whistle at her and she felt like she had been stripped of all of her defenses, all of her boundaries and all of her barriers. And when she described that, she described exactly how I feel when I feel big. Her smallness was her... Feeling naked and exposed and me feeling big is feeling naked and exposed. So I'm very clear that my anorexia was all I could do in this life without tools to survive. And it's what got me through an impossible situation. I may or may not go into that impossible situation tonight. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But um, So anyway. Um, so he said, yeah, I'm in O.A. I was like, I'm, I'm a member, too. And in my mind, I was just going to go and sort of soak up spiritual juices. You know, I was very spiritual by this point. I, I'm sure I knew everything they were talking about in O.A. And I'm sure I would just go and just kind of, like, just kind of get a little morsel so, and then all my food stuff would go away. And that's really what I thought. And it was a very kind of light, fun thing. I don't know. And it was called Serenity Sunday, and it was like four blocks from my house. What a great thing! And um, so we went, and it was great. You know, I was like, "Yeah, this is great." And and um, and then I, I I went back again, and I started to listen more and more. And what I started to see, I. And this is really what made me keep coming back. I saw people first talk about the food thing like I'd never heard before. I was like, are you kidding me? I've never heard people talk about this before. Seriously, I thought that my obsession and rumination and obsession and rumination, that's just the way life had to be. I didn't think that it could be different. I really thought that's just the thing I have. That's how I have to live my life. I'm sure everybody else does the same thing. And... And I saw these people, like, this honesty, just like, it really blew my mind. The kind of spiritual circles I was walking in, that didn't happen there. People didn't talk about these behaviors and these thoughts and these feelings at all. And that blew me away. And I'll never forget, like, this look in people's eyes where they were, like, present. They would, like, look out at the the room and it was, like someone's home in there and they, they believe what they say and they're representing who they really are and there's no artifice and they're genuinely who they are and that is what made me come back I was like, that's what I want I, I was so lost in the food stuff but I knew I wanted that whatever that thing was so I kept coming back I started abstaining I started losing more weight I started taking chips. It was like a party. It was like, I don't know. I don't know if I was back at Serenity Sunday a little while ago, and it's not quite like it used to be, and it's still big, and it's still great and everything. It used to be kind of like a game show. It was like, The Price is Right, you know? It was like, come on down! And and it was like, woo! It was very... It was fun. I mean, it was like a big thing, you know? And I got kind of caught up in that, and I'm taking my chips, and I'm losing more weight, and I'm calling compulsive over-eaters, and I'm, they're saying, don't eat no matter what. I'm like, okay, I won't eat no matter what. It's like, you know? And,
1: <laughs> and that's what
0: happened. That's really what happened. And, and God, you know, God bless them. They didn't know. I was calling, telling them, you know, I really want to eat. Well, I, I should have eaten, but I... I I don't eat no matter what. I'm like, okay, I won't eat no matter what. And all that stuff happened. And, you know, six months chip, nine months chip. By nine months, I came into OA. I was probably about 145, 150 when I came in. And by the time I took my nine-month chip abstaining, I was less than 130 pounds. My hair was falling out. I was smiling, making sure everybody liked me. Um, upset, I mean, beyond obsessed. With, I can't even begin to describe the obsession. I mean, it's just literally like, and um, I, I have a few stories that really, really, t- and I've shared this many times. Okay, if you've heard this, okay. The big story is I remember walking up. I was that apartment. It was a second floor walk up, and I was walking up. I was a waiter at the time. I had finished a lunch shift. I rode my bike by this point because I didn't want to pollute the environment. When I went to the grocery store at that time, around that time, I remember there were times when I would only buy paper products, and that was like a victory for me, like that feeling of like, the less I need, the better. And I remember walking up those flat flight of stairs that day, and this was, you know, hair falling eye, dark circles, the whole thing. And I couldn't get up the stairs. I got up to the. T- I was 25 years old at this point. I couldn't get up the stairs. I was standing at the top of the stairs, going, like panting, and I, my thought was, "It's because I've overeaten at lunch, and I'm now sluggish." So I'd gotten to the point where I thought a half a dry baked potato and four carrot sticks was a binge. The distortion was so beyond. It was beyond, and. I don't know, I, my sister visited at one point during that time. She screamed when she saw me. I got really angry at her. I got really defensive. I had a friend who was also in LA at this restaurant I was working at. And she just came up to me one day, and she said, I'm really afraid that you're going to die. And I was like, what
1: are you talking about? I'm fine.
0: And she said, no, I'm, I'm really afraid that you're going to die. And I was like, and she said the word anorexia. And I would heard it before, and I just kind of like, ah." Eh and I don't know she said something I said I said something like she said why don't you want to eat more and I said something like food I want to be spiritual and food makes me feel unspiritual and she said you know what else food does it grounds you and it puts you closer to people and I don't know there's something about that I just like her that was the miracle moment I heard it I just heard I heard anorexia I heard it was me and all of a sudden, it was, just, it was literally like this miracle of recovery. And, and before that, I was like on the first step and working and being angry that I, the food obsession wasn't going away and like sharing at meetings and putting my hand up at every meeting. And I had this real like, zest for recovery, and I really wanted to recover. And I think that is what enabled that moment to happen. I was working the steps. I was making many, many phone calls, going to like meetings upon meetings, sharing as much as I could. And I think it's that, that, that moment that... that that was the defining moment, anyway so I was like struck abstinent I'm an anorexic that's what and I just I don't know it was a miracle it was like the I always say the first, I didn't take the first step the first step happened to me I became powerless and then was willing to do whatever it took and I gained 40 pounds in about I think two and a half months and I just was like it was like a miracle of life really and what was shared earlier tonight is exactly what happened. They, they always used to say, if you find out why you're eating or not eating, stop doing those behaviors, and you're going to find out. You're going to find out. That's what happened to me. I stopped starving. Even though I didn't think I was starving at the time, I thought I was just doing it right. I thought I was just being spiritual. I thought, whatever. And sure enough, that's what happened. You know, When, when I came to O.A., I would have told you my family was a lovely wonderful family i would have told you that you know i don't have a lot of fears i'm really quite well adjusted and when i got absent it was it was like time to wake up you know and see i always say i didn't get to that point in my life because everything was fine inside and to me that's hopeful to me that's incredibly hopeful that there's a reason. This, that's exactly what happened. I mean, I'm abstinent, I've gained my weight back. <laughs> I'm feeling so much, I don't have words for it, really. And I don't know what it all means. I'm just, and I'm cr- I'm bonkers crazy. Like, I pick the craziest sponsor I can find in your way. Truly. Like, I, I wish I could talk more about it, because it's really juicy. I mean, it's very...
1: <laughs> it's
0: juicy. It's kind of, I mean, it has to do with, like, a leather relationship and a three-way leather relationship. <laughs> and, like, them trying to kind of suck me into this relationship and... That's why I had no boundaries. I had no boundaries. I didn't accept the invitation, in case you're wondering. Um, You know, I had no boundaries. But they used to say, you start right where you're at in abstinence. You start right where you're at. And that's right where I was at. That's what I was avoiding. I didn't want to walk through life and face the fact that I had no boundaries and face the fact that I had no self-worth and face the fact that my childhood with my family was like literally like an emotional horror movie. I didn't want to, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do it. I didn't, it wasn't like I kind of knew it happened, but didn't really want to face it, you know. I couldn't do it. I didn't have the ability. And I think that if I would have done it before I got absent, I don't know that I would have been able to get through it. I really don't believe that. And uh, so that's what happened, you know. I got absent, I started to feel, I remember... Again, Daryl, is she still in the way? I don't know. I think she might be. I called her. Daryl, Mexico. Yeah, she's in Mexico now. I thought I saw her in Studio City a couple of weeks ago, but anyway. The ghost of Daryl haunts. <laughs> she haunts Los Angeles. Um, but I remember calling her, and like, literally, fetal position, crying so hard that my sides hurt, and not knowing why. Like, that was the scary part. I didn't know why. It wasn't like, oh, I'm sobbing because of this. <laughs> you know, it was like I didn't understand it, and it scared me. And she just said, you know, Dan, there's a reason. There's a reason. And I knew what she meant. There was a reason why I got where I got to. And in that silence where I just couldn't fill, she said, and we're going to find out what it is. I'll never forget those words. Like, And it wasn't, you're going to find out what it is. She said, we're going to find out what it is. And that is exactly what happened. She also used to say, you know, you come to meetings, and she always used to go to meetings, sit in the front row, and put your hand up. And if you get called on, great. If you don't, great. But you did your part. And She used to say, you know, you go to meetings and you raise your hand and you share and you get to know you and we get to know you. And it's like this double thing where I share who I am with others and in the act of doing that, I find out who I am and I find out who other people are. And it's just like communal thing that connects me to who I am. And that's that's the thing I didn't have before abstinence. I was just this kind of kite without a string, you know, and if you liked the color blue, that was my favorite color too, you know, and, you know, if you wanted me to work for you and I didn't really want to, I would say yes, because my whole life was dictated about what other people thought of me, and I was a reflection of the people around me, and if people thought I was good, then I was good. I didn't have the ability to look inside, so, so anyway, got abstinent, went through all... That and, and I just kind of feel like that's where the journey began, you know. And and my recovery has been just doing that next indicated thing, you know. Then for the first couple of years, it was really about food and like trying to find a way to eat to where I could eat and not. Be obsessed and it was a slow thing over time it wasn 't perfect from the beginning. I mean absence in the beginning was very much lots of like weird mustard vinegar salad dressing combinations oil free you know and and uh, but I always say you know i don 't know where that moment is. I just kept working the steps and kept doing that next indicated thing and fo- trying to focus on the emotional wreckage of my past and my present. And slowly but surely, it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm using oil-based salad dressing. <laughs> and oh, my gosh, like, I wasn't... People in the beginning were really gentle with the food thing, and it wasn't... It was just this slow process. And... Um, so, you know, my, like I said, my recovery's really been just doing that next indicated thing that is about my life, you know, and in the beginning it was a lot of having to do with people pleasing and, you know, having a voice and saying no when I meant no and yes when I meant yes and standing up for myself and, um, dating, I had to learn to date. So I went back to, to school in recovery, um, put myself through school and, um, Dating was a big thing. Dating was a really big thing. I mean, like I said, I've been anorexic in all areas of my life. And uh, shopping, I learned to shop.
1: Hmm.
0: That thing of I want something, whether it's food or sex or money or nice cars or nice anything, that impulse to, like, take in for me is when I exist. When I take in, and I... Eating is the most basic example of that, but when I take in... I'm then, I'm now, I now I'm big, and I exist. It's like that, that fundamental appetite is the core of my existence. And that's when I feel big and stripped. And that's when I feel what Margot felt when she lost all her weight. And to, um to like, slowly walk through that and slowly, slowly, so slowly, sometimes, let my life get bigger and let myself get bigger. And you know, led in the life that my higher power wants for me. And I heard in a way that we plan our lives based on our self-worth. And the things that I wanted for myself and my higher power said no, those things now I see, at the time I didn't see it, they just weren't good enough for me. Like, I always, I was just, I... Can't I just date the guy that treats me like shit? You know, sorry, don't say no swearing. Sorry, no swearing, I knew it was gonna happen. Sorry, Leslie. <laughs> and um, and my higher power is like, no, no, no. And you know, can't I have the career that's all about my self worth and all about you know I'll do anything, I'll I'll flip my wrist for this career. You know, my higher power is like, no, sorry, you need to you need to get healthier now. And that's kind of what the third step has been about for me is. You know, my friend Chris up in Lancaster. I used to call all the time. Used to talk to me about, you know, the rhinestone, the, hand, the handful of rhinestones, and that in order to, that the third step is about opening our hand and letting the rhinestones literally fall away, so that my higher power can give me the real thing. And um, that's kind of been my experience. And it takes—it's taken so much time. It's taken a lot of time. Um, I had—I celebrated 22 years of abstinence in April this last year. This year, and um. You know to me that's an, it was an eternity like like being in this room, it kind of feels like you know when you go back to your your like grade school and everything feels so much smaller than it was when you used to be, that's what this building is like for me because I used to come to this room and um it feels like lifetimes ago, you know, but that I got early on in o a that this was the long way around the mountain, you know this wasn't like the cheap, quick, easy fix and um So, yeah, so my recovery has been about doing that next indicated thing. And, you know, I learned to date in recovery. Uh, I learned to shop in recovery. I learned to um, express my creativity in recovery. Uh, I learned to want more for myself in recovery and um, get more for myself in recovery. And... um, um I kind of want to get to what it's like now. I mean, that's what happened. I mean, I could talk. I mean, that, those, those many years in between, it was just, you know, tumultuous. It was tumultuous. But I will say this. I, I really will say this. And I, I don't mean this like away as a place. I was in a meeting a couple weeks ago and I shared about how my disorder isn't about food and that it's just not about food. And someone shared after me and they were like, if I can't share about food in a way, where can I share about food? And and that and I don't know if she was cross talking toward me or what, but but um, that's not what I mean at all. What I mean is is I, I did get out thankfully with abstinence. I got out of the food in about probably a, probably a couple years, and my recovery started to become about like life issues, like the life issues underneath my disorder, and. Um, and that you know that's the result of the steps and the tools i mean i I call people and i call I've always called people, I really use the phone and I really write and um because I don't like being in pain like me me being obsessed with food and feeling fat after a normal meal and feeling like I'm guilty for eating a normal meal and like that that's not acceptable to me like i I just do the tools like I because I don't like the pain I can't deal with that it's not like, oh, just sit with it and let it be and um so you know I've just used using the tools and using the the uh a lot of calls, a lot of calls, and um, that kind of is what kind of got me continuing to grow in my life and and um but it's weird to talk about sort of like the the drama of early abstinence and then it's kind of like this sort of blur area, not that I don't remember it, but um but getting to where I'm at now is really um important. I want to get there because um I just do so uh so yeah, many years and drinking candles and chips and and um, being very grateful for abstinence, going back to school was a big thing, dating was a big thing, getting married was a big thing um Because every time I let an area of my life get big and and flourish, I got bigger and I flourished. Um, But what happened was, I would say about five or six years ago in my recovery, I kind of hit this sort of anorexic wall where I was... um, It was like I had recovery, I had a good life, but I was like stuck. And it was like I, I found myself only being able to let things be okay to a certain point, like, is, yeah. like things would be good, but if they got a little too good, I would sabotage it, like, if things got a little too happy, I was like, oh, no, 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 that's, and I would find a way to just kind of, like, shut it down, and um, I started doing more work, you know, I started doing more inventory and more work, and, I went back to kind of childhood issues. And that was really helpful for me. That was huge for me, to really go back and really, like I'd never done before, really just without judgment and without sort of like, oh, but I have to forgive, and oh, I have to do it right. and But really just, I'm going to talk about it, I'm going to share about it, I'm going to write about it, I'm going to really face the, the kind of ugly truth of it all. And that has been really, really helpful for me. And, um... You know, it works. Like, whenever I hit something in my life and go to that next place, it always works. And what I found was, you know, my family of origin, my parents did the best that they could, and I don't, I actually have real compassion for them in my life. And I also don't have to take responsibility for what they did. That was kind of the big lesson, was... I can have love and compassion for my parents and hold them accountable at the same time. And then it's not all or nothing. It's not like this sort of party of forgiveness where there's balloons and, you know, like, whatever, for, like, this life of resentment, you know. There's, for me, it's not even a middle ground. It's an honest ground is what it is. It's, um... It's facing the abuse, you know. It was incredible, incredible emotional abuse, incredible homophobia, incredible racism, incredible just everything. And those are choices that my parents made. My parents were horribly abused as children also, and they made the choice, the the best they could do, I know it's the best they could do, to actively not do anything about it. And as a result, they abused their kids. That's what they did. And that choice that they made is no longer my fault. I used to feel deep down that if I got good enough, it would heal my family. That is not what happened in my life. What happened is, I'm now free of it, and I don't take responsibility for it anymore. And that was at the core of my anorexia. The core of my anorexia was playing this role that my parents needed me to play So they didn't have to feel responsible. And my recovery in the last five or six years has been saying, I'm not doing that anymore. Can't do that anymore. And to put myself first on such a kind of deep emotional level has been um, really, really powerful. And lo and behold, I can let more in. Lo and behold, I can feel bigger and feel comfortable with it. You know, lo and behold, I don't feel guilty for taking up space like I used to. And, um... Because that is anorexia. Feeling guilty for existing. And the compulsive overeaters I've talked to, the close friends of mine, they talk about that too. And... I honor how there's differences in behavior, but I also really honor and respect that similarity and how it's all the same thing. And um, so, yeah, so today, you know, my life is really, thank you, today my life is really about, like I said, you know, pleasure is the hardest thing for me as an anorexic. I know how to suffer. I know how to survive. I know how to get through. I know how to barrel down. And I know how to get through this rocky road of life. (coughs) You know? But when there's money in the bank, and there's an available, loving husband at home, and there's a nice car in the driveway, and my creativity is going well, and, you know... That's when I really rely on higher power. That's when I really rely on higher power. In the beginning, it was about feeling incredible pain and incredible, like, stored up stuff that I'd never even known about. I wasn't even conscious of. I didn't even know I had those feelings inside of me. But slowly over time, what happened in recovery is I started to sort of As my life got better in recovery, I started to sort of see my life. Like, I remember driving up the freeway. I had gone back to school in recovery. I got basically a free ride because I had put myself through City College and I did really well in City College. So the government gave me all this money to go back to school. And I was studying the thing that I've always, you know, I feel I was born to do. And I remember driving up the 405 and being like, if I heard about this life, from somebody else, and they described it to me. I'd be like, God, what a great <laughs> life. Oh, my God. But somehow, when it's my life, it all felt wrong. And I was still struggling, and I was still in a lot of pain. And that was the first glimmer of, like, why why is it that I things are really good, and I'm still slogging through it? I'm slogging through it. And that was a long time ago. It was the first kind of little inkling of, like, maybe I have... Maybe I'm uncomfortable with joy. Maybe joy is kind of a nightmare. The biggest thing I learned in my four step inventory, and I did a few, but the big one that I mean, I did a lot of big ones, but the one that really re- was the big turning point for me, and the big thing in that inventory was oh, how did I word it? If I don't let happiness in at all, happiness will never be taken from me. If I don't let myself feel joy, no one can stamp my joy out. What a great... What a great way to do it. Like, what a great plan. I get to make myself miserable so I don't have to go through the fear of being made miserable. (laughs) And that has been kind of the theme of my recovery. And that doesn't mean that like, oh, I'm not allowed to get upset or oh, I have to be happy all the time or of course not, of course not. But it does mean, today especially, when I start to have a bad day, I have to stop and say, is this something I'm doing because I'm more comfortable with misery? I would say about seven or eight months, about a year ago, I was on the phone, I was calling a customer service rep and I was having a really nice morning. I'd been to a meeting, I was I had a really great day planned, and the customer service person started to really make me angry. And I got this I, I was really aware of this feeling like,
1: all right. <laughs>
0: I get to sabotage my morning. And it wasn't even like, oh, I get to stop. I just got this, like, joy, this, like, excitement that I get to sort of, like, smash it down. And I stopped. And it was like, wait a second. And that's still what I'm, that's what my life, that's what my recovery is about. It, again, it's not about, like, you know, I have to be happy all the time. But, nothing, honestly, my, my truth to say to this meeting, I do not feel more vulnerable than when I feel happy. And when I feel joyous and when things are good, that is when I feel most vulnerable. That's when I feel the biggest. That's when I feel the most exposed. And that is when I most need a higher power. And the 11th step means a lot to me, especially now. I say, I would say in the last five years, I've really gotten to a new place with the 11th step, where the 11th step, I used to think the 11th step was about like, meditate, shine the light in, and dispel all the darkness. That kind of whole, like... And I would, like, compulsively, like, say mantras over and over again, just sort of like... And now I don't do that. To me, meditation is when I sit and I give space in my body for the things that are uncomfortable. And I let it percolate. I let it be there. And then it doesn't have to rule my life. When I give the anger, the sadness, the fear of being wiped out, Because that is what anorexia... I mean, there was a reason. I was going to get wiped out as a kid. I would have gotten wiped out. Anorexia saved my life. But I don't have to shut down anymore today. I'm not about to get wiped out. But those feelings can still come up, especially when I feel joy. And that's when I have to meditate, I have to write, I have to call people, and try, with the help of a higher power, to feel that exposure of goodness. To me, letting goodness in is the ultimate experience of recovery, whether it's joy. I mean, I used to f- pick fights right before vacation because it was like things are just getting too good. They're getting too good. You know, like, oh, it's going to be too nice over there on Kauai. You know, I know it, it, is, it is. It's comical, but like to watch myself do that year after year was very, very painful. And so today, I mean, so much of my recovery is about, like, looking at my part, looking inside of myself. And that's such a big thing, and I'm so happy to share it with you guys, that, like, that's the most honest thing I can say is my part today is being willing to be big and being willing to be exposed and being willing to let goodness come into me. That's my willingness. That's all I have to do is be willing, and my higher power does the rest. And I'm not perfect. I don't do it perfectly. I still sometimes get uncomfortable. And I still like that old way of being, of struggling, of drama, of strife, can feel a little attractive. But it's it's just painful now. What used to be like a survival thing. I mean I used to I used to struggle all day long, every day, and just think this is how life is. It's how life has to be. And Today that is it's it's kind of few and far between, it's a lot less, and when it starts to happen, I have tools to stop or to forgive myself once I've done it. And then just try again. Every day's a new day, you know, every day's a new day where I can let I can try with the help of a higher power to let in the life that my higher power has for me. And it's a good life. Like, I'm not lying. I'm not just saying that. Like, coming, coming to recovery when I did and getting abstinent gave me the life of my dreams. It really did. And it was the life of my dreams that I didn't even have the self-worth to dream about. And that's not like, oh, keep coming back. You might get it too. Like, it's not me trying to convince you to come back. You know, and things aren't perfect. But with patience and with work, someone once said there's a life beyond the disease. And I have that life beyond the disease. I really do. And I would be playing small and being afraid that you guys wouldn't like me. I mean, that's my whole thing, is if I'm too big and too happy, people don't like me. That would be a lie, you know, but for me to own that, that recovery works and life is good and life is big and, and I get to enjoy it today, even though it still really scares me. It still really scares me. Even saying that to you right now scares me. Um... But, I'm so grateful that I got to recovery when I mean, what a miracle! I didn't mean to say I'm in OA2 that day, I really believe that was my higher power, you know? I didn't think I had a problem, I didn't think I was anorexic, I certainly didn't have a problem. But somehow, like, my higher power, like, that that was pure grace as far as I was concerned. So keep coming back. I mean, it works. At the end, when people say it works, if you work it, I don't say that. I say it works. I just say it works. I can work it. It's not a struggle for me to work. To surrender and to allow, that's a struggle for me. And um, I was never the person that had to, like, get the fire lit underneath me to go to meetings. But I knew that... I don't know I think deep down I knew that if I just kept coming I would find that thing I saw in that first meeting which was I would find who I am and that's the one thing I have more than anything else in my life is I know who I am now more than I ever have I can stand in my body and be who I am in front of people now more than I ever ever have been able to do it and that's the gift of recovery like that's the real gift of recovery is living with that sense of dignity and self-respect that I didn't even know about before recovery I didn't know that existed So um, I'm so glad to be here, Leslie. Thank you again, and um, thank you very much for letting me share.